0: You know, we've been talking about uh, this whole month, we've been talking about what does it mean to be part of the community, the church. And it's very clear from the New Testament, from the Bible, that when we place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, He saves us from our sins and He saves us from the penalty of death. There's no question about that. He gives us new life. He opens our eyes. He turns our hearts. Without that, we have no hope. He gives us uh, His indwelling Holy Spirit. And then the thing we've been talking about is He places us within His community, His church. And we pointed out last weekend, there, there's around 50, 58 or so of these one another statements. And uh, they're all over the New Testament. For instance, love one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another, comfort one another, forgive one another, greet one another, pray for one another, um, spur one another on to good works. So we have all these things going on, Right? And we said that these can only really be carried out in a smaller, face-to-face type of a setting. And we think a small group is that setting, or one of the best settings for that to take place. And so we think that that's really important. And so the overarching statement that Jesus gives us about all these other one-anothers, or maybe the one that's the dominant one-another statement, is found in John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. So we said, okay, so the overarching command is to love one another. And I said, but how do we do that? And I think all the other one another statements are kind of applications of that, that over-love-one-another uh, statement. However... Sometimes we as Christians we've made up our own one another statements. We don't state them, we don't list them, but we do them sometimes. Like for instance, we we, we have our own and, and it goes like this humble one another. Have you ever had somebody who decides they want to humble you or scrutinize one another or embarrass one another or pressure one another or interrupt one another or defeat one another or to sacrifice one another? We're supposed to sacrifice for one another. We're not to sacrifice them. Uh, Or shame one another. Or run one another's lives. Or confess. By the way, if you're a young person here and you're thinking of your parents here, that's their job, so let's move on. (laughs) Okay. Or shame one another. uh, Or confess. Here's one. Confess one another's sins. Now, the Bible says that we are to confess our sins to one another, but we're not to go to another person and confess somebody else's sins to someone else. Uh, intensify one another's sufferings. I've had a few of those. Or point out one another's failings. I've had a number of those. <laughs> and, and those are not found in the Bible. You'll, you won't find those in the New Testament. They're not there. And these things ought not to be. In uh, John's epistle, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So what I want to do is just take a few minutes and say, what does it mean to really love each other? How does that play out? And, and I just want to talk about four things that I think help us to understand. How to, what does this mean when we say we're going to love one another? The first thing that we understand is that we need to discover, explore, and remember His sacrificial love for you, for us. And in 1 John 4, uh, John writes this. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us uh, by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We love each other because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we can cannot see? And He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Now, Here's, here's what I've learned. We can really, and this is true in my own life, and I, I think you'll find it's true in your life. We can only begin to love one another as we understand how much we are loved by Him. If we just try to manufacture this, it'll become a conditional love. We'll, we'll love people because of who they are, what they can do, the position they hold, something along those lines. But when we understand how loved we are, in, in other words, until we begin to grasp His love, we will struggle to really love others. For example, it's hard sometimes to forgive people. But when I remember how much He's forgiven me, I have a a, a new resource. I have a a new way. I have a new understanding of what forgiveness is. So it's easier to forgive others when I remember my forgiveness. It's sometimes hard to sacrifice for others. But when I remember what He did for me, that He gave His life and it became a sacrifice, He shed His blood for me. I remember the incredible sacrifice He made for me. Now, I remember, now, as I look at this, what it means to sacrifice for somebody else, I realize that's a pittance to what He's done for me. So, in the same way, when I look at how much I'm loved by Him and I begin to meditate upon how much I'm loved by Him, it gives me a new reservoir, a new resource for how I can love others. But my point is, until we come to grips with that, we're going to not be able to forgive. We're going to not be able to sacrifice. We're not going to be able to love the way that we've been called to do all those things. Let me show you how God's love will change you. The Bible says that God loves us unconditionally. Now that's just an amazing fact, and you could spend a lot of time just reflecting about it. It doesn't say He loves you. You know, it's interesting, because even in the Old Testament, He said that about the nation of Israel. He says, I didn't choose you because you were the biggest nation. (laughs) I didn't choose you because you're the most powerful nation. I chose you because I chose you. In other words, I unconditionally chose to love you and I will not change that. I won't change that. And that's what he says to followers, his followers in the New Testament. I love you unconditionally. There's nothing that you've done that's drawn me to you. There's nothing that you will do that will push me away. I love you, period. Now, how many of us can say that we have people in our lives today who love us unconditionally? How many, how many of us can honestly say we have relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents, with, with our family members, with our friends who say, I just love you, period. I'll always be there for you. I'll never reject you. I just love you. That, that is, that's unconditional love. And I hope as parents, I hope as parents that you are communicating to your children, you are communicating one thing, that there'll never be a day that they wake up and they open their eyes well, they'll wonder, is there somebody on this planet who loves me unconditionally? I hope that as a parent, you've communicated that to your children. There's nothing they can do. There is nothing they will say that will break the bond of your utter, un... There's... it's an unconditional commitment of unconditional love that you've made to them. And what our Father in Heaven says, I love you unconditionally. Because here's what we struggle with. We struggle with relationships that says, I love you because. I love you when. I love you if. But it's not generally, I just love you, period. You can do nothing to make me love you more. You can do nothing to make me love you less. Now, I may hate you, (laughs) but I'll always love you. You get my point. But when we experience God's unconditional love, it's like no other love we've ever experienced. To be loved, period. Period. The Apostle Paul says this, and this is from uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. In other words, this says we didn't bring much to the table, okay? It's not like we're bargaining and God says, wow, you are a good-looking person. You are fantastic. I want you in my kingdom. No, it says once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved you so much. Even though you were dead because of your sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. When you experience this unconditional love, you know how it feels. You're filled to overflowing. You have something to give. You now have a new and renewable knowledge of what it means to be loved unconditionally. And you now can give that a portion of that love to others, but when you've never experienced it, you'll you'll continue to live conditionally with your love. You'll you'll say, ah, you don't deserve to be loved. You don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve that I sacrifice for you. And you know when you get to that point, you need to go back to the cross. You need to look to heaven. You need to understand how loved you are and what He's done for you. And when you begin to do that, you'll have that. So the you know very clearly, John says. He says, we are to love one another. Jesus says, we are to love one another. He says, I'll give you a new command. Love one another. Well, how do you do it? You can only really love when you're tapped into the love that heaven gives to you through Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're to model His love for His bride, the church. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, John writes this. He says, let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It is granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the glorious deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And, the, and the John is using symbolism and he's talking about the bride and he's talking about this marriage supper. He's talking about this feast where the the groom, who is Jesus, and the bride, which is the church, will be reunited together. And and the bride will be without spot, without wrinkle, be perfect, be perfected. Not there yet, working on it. But ultimately, it's talking about a future day when all these things will take place. But the interesting thing to understand here is that Jesus calls His church the bride. He does that in the Bible. By, By the way, if you're married men, it says husbands love your wives. Is Christ loved the church. So he's, he's drawing a parallel between husbands loving your bride and Christ loving His bride, the church, and gave His life for it. That's what he says. So, some people, and you probably, maybe you've heard some say, I love, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. The problem with this is the church is the bride of Christ. When you insult the church, you insult His bride. This doesn't seem like a wise or smart thing to do. You know, we've had about, uh, I think, four or five weddings in the last four or five weeks. I lost track. But anyways, um, usually right down here is where the father will walk the bride down. And I'll be standing with the groom. And we'll be standing there. And he'll look and he'll see the bride coming through. The doors open up and the dramatic music. By the way, Canon and D. Let's, let's, can we be done with Canon and D? All right. I've, I've, there's a bride out there going, why? I like that. <laughs> Alright, sorry, I, I'm wandering here. But the bride walks down and, and, and the groom and the bride and the groom and the bride and the dad, ooh, you know, it's just going crazy. And they walk right down here. And, and what if I were, as a pastor who was officiating this wedding, look at the guy and go, you know, look at the bride and she's not really pretty. And you go, you sure? I mean, really? <laughs> now listen, for you for you women, listen. I get it. I'm looking over here, and I'm going to the bride. You, sh- you sure? <laughs> you know, but 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 I, that won't work for my illustration. Okay. The point is, when you criticize the church, when you say I love Jesus, but I, I don't like the bride. You may as well walk up to a new bride and say to the groom, "She is but ugly." <laughs> really? I mean, seriously, that's what you're doing. Listen, are there problems with the local church? Yes. Can it get gritty and kind of messy and kind of can people in the church be stupid? And I'm sorry I said that word, but they can be. Can they be judgmental and unattractive? Absolutely. The church of Christ is the bride of Christ. He loved her enough that He willingly gave His life. In fact, in the book of Acts, this is what it says, Guard yourse- yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church. Purchase with His own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. So here, the, the, the elders are challenged that they're to protect and feed the flock. They're to love the flock. They're to care for the flock. You want to know another word for the flock is the bride. I don't know about you, but I want to see the church as Christ Caesar. Therefore, the last thing I want to do is tarnish something that Christ loved deeply enough to die for. Ephesians 5 says, He gave up his life for her, talking about the bride, the church to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to pre- present her to Himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Notice it says she will be holy and without fault. She's with, she's not holy and without faults today. But there comes a day in the book of Revelation where one day at the marriage feast of the Lamb, the bride will have arrived. and And... See, if I'm critical of the church, if I'm critical of His bride, if I force my opinions and preferences into the church, if I don't care how many my actions or teachings reflect on the church, what does that say about me? It says this, I don't understand the love of Christ for the bride. I don't understand that. Number three, we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to empower us to forgive. In Ephesians 4, it says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, if we're going to grow closer to one another, we're going to need to forgive one another. And bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all those things, they... Now, the interesting thing is he's not talking about the the world, those people outside the church speaking about the church. He's talking about people within the church, talking about people within the church. (laughs) You know, the only way i found to turn to switch from anger to forgiveness is to reflect upon the cross and see His forgiveness for me. When I see Him forgiving me, I find the ability, the motivation, and the desire to forgive others. And and it says in that, that same chapter in verse 30, it says, Don't grieve, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying, here's what Paul is saying, it's very important that we understand this. Paul is saying that when there is bitterness, rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander coming out of you within the Christian community, or any other time, but within the Christian community, you know at that moment, the Holy Spirit is not at the wheel, not at control. No longer is He driving your life. No longer is he, he, uh, are you allowing Him to empower you and engage, you're engaging Him in your life. In fact, if you've grieved the Holy Spirit, it might not seem obvious. And uh, some of you may say, in the last week, I have behaved in a way that truly showed at that moment I was not being filled and controlled I had grieved the Holy Spirit. I had sinned. And by the way, when you do that, you need to confess your sin not only to God, but maybe to another person. I have sat in church meetings where people have gone off. I mean, really gone off? And you go, okay, uh, time out. What's going on here? What is amazing to me is when people go off sometimes and other Christians are sitting there, they go. They just kind of seem like, well, they were mad. They were angry. And you go, okay, I get that you can, you can get angry and get mad. But are we going to address the, the elephant in the room that this person at this moment is not behaving under the control, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and say, we need to call another meeting. We need to call a timeout. We need to get this back together. I mean, it's amazing to me. I've been in some incredible church meetings. And I'll give you, I'll give you, um, I'll give you a, a little insight to where I'm at. Okay? This is just... So keep this to yourself. Don't spread it around. When, whenever there's a church meeting or there's an elder meeting, there's a part of me that cringes. It has nothing to do with what's going on at Hope Church. It has to do with past. Because I've sat through meetings where I've just seen garbage. Just garbage. To the point that I said, why am I even in ministry? This is just nuts. And and you feel like, can we call a time out and just say, we're not under the influence, the influence of the Holy Spirit left a long time ago. Let's just, cancel the meeting right now and and what basically what, what 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 Paul is saying to us is and what the Bible and the New Testament and Jesus is saying to us is within this Christian community the most attractive thing ought to be that when we get upset when we get disturbed when we feel like angry and stuff like that we allow the Holy Spirit to temper it so that when you um, feel that way you overlook an offense you hold your tongue you forgive. You realize, because of the Holy Spirit, that you kind of held back. You 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 reflected. You didn't allow yourself to be offended. You didn't give game game give territory to the enemy in your heart. And and that's so important to understand. And and so why that's why it's so amazing to me because the church is one of those things that's still got spots and wrinkles all over it. It's the bride of Christ, but there's some work that needs to be done and. But we have to say, we have to call it what it is. When, it, when we see it, we have to say, you know what, time out. We need to take a time out because we're not in a good place right here. And this goes on in churches all over the place. Here's the fourth thing. Make a real commitment to a few. In Romans 12.10, Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. Love here refers to a tender affection. And it really t- is talking about this family affection. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Four Affections, or The Four Loves. And he basically takes the four Greek words and he talks about the different aspects of love. And he says that agape love is the God-like, self-giving love, that uh, even towards enemies. And and that's the verse we read where God loved us while we were still sinners. You know, we were enemies. We we, We weren't on His side. We were against Him. And He still loved us and He still gave us life. And then uh, philea love, uh, phileo-love is uh, the love and friendship, camaraderie. And, and that's where, you know, you, you know, like for instance, the city of F- Philadelphia, adelphos is the word for brother. Phileos is the word for uh, a love, and it's the city of brotherly love. Now, I don't know if it is or not, but that's what they're supposed to be. And then you have eros. Eros-love is uh, the love of romance the desire uh, uh, and desire and sexual attraction. And then there's one other word is storge, and storge is the love of affection that arises. It's this natural attachment, like to a child, a, a good friend, a dog, a favorite shabby sweater, a, you know, a spot in the woods. You just you just just really like it a lot. And and Paul is referring to this storge, this tender affection, and especially towards precious family members. But the key here is the key element here is that that's what he says, that we're to have this, he uses a compound word with Storgate, and he says we're to have this, this common, tender affection for one another. And the question is, well, how in the world are we going to do that? And the question is, how many people can you, as he says, be devoted to one another? How many people can you be devoted to? Well, you're devoted to your family, you're devoted to your job, you're devoted to... You know, we're devoted to a lot of things, but, you know, a tender affection, How? And you say, well, wait, how many people was Jesus devoted to? Was He devoted to the 500? No, probably not. I mean, He didn't know them. How could He be devoted to them? He was devoted to 12, right? He was devoted to a smaller group of men that He poured His life into, that He knew them and they knew Him. And, and, and see, that's essentially what we're talking about. You have to limit how many people you can be devoted to. We all have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of emotional energy and space and, and capacity. So the question is, who are you devoted to within this new community? Who is it that you said, I'm devoted to them and they're devoted to me? And that's where we, where we believe small groups can help in that whole carrying out of these one and another statements and, and how that pl- takes place. Um, we think that once you get devoted uh, to another p- group of people, a smaller group of people, good things can happen. You can begin to have those type of relationships that we're talking about. And p- Peter says this He says, Since you have, in obedience uh, to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Well, the only way you really can do that is when you're devoted to a small group of people that you know by name, and they know you by name. And you're able to get past the weather discussions and past this, and you get past the surface to the deeper issues in life. And and that's really essentially, we would say, we're, we're glad that you're here on the weekends, but the next step that we'd love to see everyone take is get into a small group where you can be devoted to that person and that group. It's important because this tender family affection among believers witnesses to the truth that God is our Father The church is not primarily a human organization, it's primarily the family of God. To be a Christian means that you... You know, it's interesting because we were all born humans into a human family. Most of us were. But the Bible says that when we were um, spiritually born, and we call it the new birth, we were born into a spiritual family. And many people don't understand that. Many Christians don't understand it. They think... Well, I was, I was, I'm a born-again Christian, but I'm kind of a baby on my own, you know. I'm not connected to a family. And essentially the Scripture says, oh, yes, you are. You're connected to a family more than you know. So the second birth brings the second family, and uh, you have a better connection. So we want to challenge you to become part of that second family, that spiritual family, and that, be devoted to a smaller group where you can know them and they can know you. And so we have this uh, way for you to connect through the kiosks. There's still groups that you can sign up for. There's a singles group out there. There's a number of different groups out there. And so we want you, if you're not part of a small group, to get into a small group. It's a short-term commitment. And at the end of the small group uh, time that you'll have, you could say, yeah, I want to continue with this group. Or no, I'd like to start and try it with a different group. But you'll get a feel for what a small group is all about. So, I would encourage you to do that today. All right. One more thing. And I'm this. All right. So, now we're going to move on to a new subject, okay? But it's important. So, I'm going to give you a quick commercial, okay? So, don't get up and leave now. I want to ask you to do a special favor, and it will mean a lot to me. I want to challenge you to be part of the Roshek tour. We are running the tours this week and 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 here's what is going to happen. During this tour you're going to learn about one of the what I believe is one of the most important steps that we've ever taken as a church. Now, through the years, when we met at Eisenhower, we took a huge step to come out to this property, three point five acres, we we're in that building. And then We were in that building. When I first came, that's the building we met in. And then we said, okay, we're going to take another step. We're going to build this building. And I remember walking into this space when it was just the steel and no walls were up. And I thought, are we going to be able to fill this place up? And I look and I say, yeah, I think we'll be able to do that. I think that'll work today. But underneath the carpet and underneath the stage are names. People wrote names of friends, family members. They wrote verses down. They prayed. We prayed. We said, God, use this building. Use this space to bring more people into your family, into your church. And He has and He is. And that's great. And so then we said, okay, what's the next step? Well, the next step is we're full here. We're running out of parking. We're running out of children's space. We're not even in the fault, and we're we're in trouble. And so we have to do something. So we said we'll do a campus, and we did the campus at MindFrame, and then we moved it to UD, and that's where we are now. We believe that we need to take a bigger step. We need to make a campus that's equal. And I don't want to go into the whole uh, vision of where we're we're going. But all that to say that the next step that we take, I think, is going to be absolutely critical for us as a church to be obedient to what God has called us to do, I think. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't care because I'm just going to attend here, the JFK campus. But what you need to know is, I'm going to ask about four or 500 of you to go to Roshek. because we need room here. We need to get you out of here and go somewhere else. Um, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> but if you go on these tours, you're going to get very up-to-date, in-depth uh, information about the financial health of where we're at, where we're going, steps that we're taking in the future, our strategy for the future. You'll hear, you'll hear the vision more of what we have planned for Roschek and Hope. Uh, the staff, the elders, and, and many other key leaders have invested a lot of time and effort to provide an informative, enjoyable, and insightful tour for you. We've, we've actually hired a trolley and you say, well, I live closer, it'd be easier to just meet, meet us there. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> Sign up anyways. Um, I'm going to ask you as a pastor to, to do go and to be part of this, at least get the information. Because we we can't do this without you. And, And what we're doing there is going to affect the whole family. Let me just say this. That if God moves and we actually do take the step, and I think we're going to, and I think God is going to move, I think He already is, you're going to step back and you're going to see that this is the most public step that we've ever taken in this community. We right now have a lot of community leaders that know exactly what our intentions are. We've been talking with them. And just to give you, a, when when people hear that we are going to go to the lower level of the Roshak Building, they're going to say, "They're doing what?" And we are going to. Do, I I believe it's. I'll just use a corny little stupid phrase that I. There is going to be the whole renovation of the downtown area, the whole warehouse district, and the lofts and the the food co-op and the IBM building and the renovation of all of that, we're going to go into the lower level and we're going to bring a spiritual renovation. We're going to bring a spiritual tsunami. They have no idea the difference that we could do and we could make in that, in that downtown area and the lives that are going to be changed forever. And, and I just want everyone to be understanding the step we're taking. Because it's easy to come and say, well, I'm just happy with the church. I'm happy with what... I, I, I'm glad about that. But this is about the future. And it's a big step. And I would love you to be engaged in it to say, I was part of that big step that we took. So I don't ask for a lot of favors, but I'm asking you to do a favor. Go online, sign up for the Rochek tour, and join us. And I guarantee you, you will walk away and say, that was not wasted time. That was, good. That was time well spent. And if you do that, I would really appreciate it. So would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank You for bringing us together as Your church. And we've just finished by talking about family business. And we thank You for bringing us together from different walks of life, different places geographically. But You've brought us together because of one reason. Because of Jesus. You've drawn us to this place. You've drawn us to this family. And Father, I pray that uh, as we go uh, today, that we would go knowing that you go with us. But help us to be devoted to one another. To carry out this, this powerful command where you tell us to love one another. May we love each other so deeply and so dearly that people in the community see it and they say, I don't have that in my life. I do not have people in my life that care about me like they do. I want that. More than that, they have a peace. They have a joy. They have something that I don't have. And I want that. Father, may we as we leave this place be the church You've called us to be. Be the bride that You've called us to be so the world can see that You are alive.